Well, turn in your Bibles tonight to John chapter 12. And as I mentioned this morning, it was my goal this morning to make it through this entire passage um, because it's all tied from the last part of chapter 11 to this first part of chapter 12. It's all tied in with what happened, the uh, after effects, so to speak, of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And you'll certainly see that um, in this account tonight. This morning, the effects were that many were saved, praise the Lord, Um, but also there was reported of the the miracle to the religious leaders, to the Sanhedrin, and they had the opposite. It had the opposite effect on them, where they looked at it and they saw a threat to their very power, to their positions, and so because of that, um, Caiaphas the high priest um, said that one needed, it was imperative, it was needful that one would die for the sake of the nation, for the sake of many, in effect. He's thinking of the Israel, the nation of Israel and their own power structure. But interestingly, God is using the, his, his words in his sovereign way And another aspect of this, too, that I don't know if I made clear this morning, the high priest of the Sanhedrin, the high priest in general throughout the Old Testament was a position that God used their authority to speak to the people as a whole. So how appropriate is it for God to use Caiaphas, even though Caiaphas didn't know that he was being used as a prophet? Um, He was being used in the way that God had intended the office to be used to prophesy about what Jesus, why Jesus needed to die. And he didn't even realize it. it. For him, it was his own selfish purposes. For God, it was a declaration that people need Jesus. Remarkable, really astounding. And uh, I hope you really think through the sovereignty of God in these situations and see um, just the majesty of that. So, so in the end, their decision was Jesus has to die. And yet it was not God's timing for Jesus to die yet. And so Jesus went with his disciples to the wilderness. They now come back for a very special dinner that it seems like they've been invited to in honor of Jesus, most likely. And so this is where we pick up um, where we left off this morning. And we're going to see that those that have rejected Christ, um, that he is a threat to them. Um, He's a threat that they have no control over, but he is a threat to them. But for those who have believed in him and have trusted in him, who have said like the passage, like the, uh, the hymn we sang just a few minutes ago, Jesus is all the world to me. For those, Jesus will be honored. He will be worshiped. And he will be appreciated. And so we have this beautiful story here in John chapter 12. And we'll just read through verses 1 through 8 and then pray together. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. Remember, people had come ahead of time for the purification rites to be cleansed the ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. 
Jesus finally arrives not to be cleansed. He had no need of that. But he comes to spend time with friends. Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. Back to Bethany again, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lives. Where Lazarus, which, what, which was which, no, I can't say that right. Where Lazarus was, which had been dead. There we go. Whom he, Jesus, raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard or pure nard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with really the fragrance of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the, really the money bag and bare what was put therein or helped himself to that. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burial hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Lord, as we review this story that, again, is very familiar to us, let us, see it, let us see it with fresh eyes and really be amazed and wonder at this, the incredible beauty of this worshipful act that Mary performs to Jesus. Father, as we contemplate these things, Help us to check our own hearts to see if Jesus is really this dear to us, is really this meaningful to us, that we could respond in this kind of, of worship and adoration. We'll do a work in our hearts. We all need help in loving you better and in loving Jesus more. So let the scriptures scriptural accounts tonight that speak of this motivate us toward that and help us to leave here appreciating loving Jesus more ready to worship him in the midst of a world that has rejected him to show them the love of Jesus to show them their opportunity to worship him as well through faith in Christ this we ask in Jesus name that we pray amen we saw this morning that Jesus was the one who would die for the people, and his enemies made that clear, even though that was not their intention as they talked together. It was clear that he would die, and they made the decision, again, at that moment, that he was going to die. And that also says, by the way, that the, um, the upcoming trials that Jesus would go through were all shams. They were all insincere. Because the die had already been cast. The decision had already been made. Jesus was going to die. And the trials that Jesus went through were just the details that they had to go through, the rigmarole, the ritual. But they were intent upon ending his life. That's the negative side of things. And we saw that no matter the type of people, the arrogant people that God allows into our lives, God has a purpose for all of those things, all of those people, all of those situations. So trust him. In the midst of that. But now we have the beauty of a scene where there are people here for the most part that just love and appreciate Jesus 
but one makes it more apparent than all the rest. Kind of really embarrasses many of the followers here. And so, again, as we saw in the beginning of chapter 12, there is a supper that was given in honor of Jesus. Most, most likely, this was the evening meal, the Greek word there. We don't know. It doesn't really, if you look at the details, it doesn't say specifically that it was at Mary and Martha's home. It says um, that there they, there they had made him a supper. There are two other accounts of this in Matthew and Mark, and they indicate that it was at Simon the leper's home, if I remember correctly. Luke gives an account where the details are so different that obviously the account that Luke is giving us is a different event altogether. The event that Matthew and Mark gives us seems to be the same event that we're talking about here, and they give some more details that I'm going to add in. But it seems as if from putting all of those accounts together, the three accounts, that they weren't meeting at Mary and Martha's home, but as you would expect, because Martha's is conscientious and is helpful, and she is the main hostess in her home, she is playing the hostess at this summer, regard, at the supper, regardless of whom, whose home she's at. And it gives us an indication of what's going on here. People have come then to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, because this is the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. Well, we, we, we've invited to a dinner. Oh, we got to go and we got to see him. We got to meet him. So they're here. Um, Martha is serving. Interesting. I don't want to make too much of this. It says she served, but it says no indication that she overserved, that she was serving too much and worried to the extent that she was before. I think in a subtle way, this indicates that Martha has learned her lesson. She's ready to help. She's ready to serve, but she's not so into the details that she's missing the importance of all this. The words that Jesus gave to her early on um, in their time together took hold. She's serving, but this time she's serving from the heart. What's Lazarus doing? Well, Lazarus was one of them that sat, or actually the word is reclined, at the table with him. Well, why would it be reclined? That doesn't make much sense to us today. Because, of course, when we eat at a dinner table or lunch or whatever, we pull up a chair Many times to the table, we sit in that chair and we eat together, right? That's a common thing. Well, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a presentation or production that demonstrated what this looked like in Bible times, but there were no chairs back then. There weren't even bean bags or things where people could kind of sit or they didn't even sit in, they didn't sit in Indian style or anything like that. Well, how did they enjoy the meal? Well, they actually reclined at a table that was close to the ground. And so when it says here that Lazarus was next to Jesus, really the word, the Greek word there means recline, and he would have been on his elbow talking with Jesus. Jesus would be reclining at the table. Lazarus, as an honored guest, sits next to him in the way that uh, the apostle John, the disciple John would at the Last Supper. And so there's two. Of, of the three that we've recently, of this family that is so dear to Jesus. And remember, all three of these folks are described as being very dear, that Jesus loved them all. And so they're enjoying this meal in honor of Jesus. And 
rejoicing in what's happened with Lazarus. I'm sure there was a lot of friendly conversation going on. People glad to see Jesus again. This was a house for the most part that were filled with friends and not enemies of the Christ, of the Messiah. Well, except for one. We'll get to him in a minute. In the midst of all, one person, though, goes far beyond really what anybody else expected. Verse 3, then Mary, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, as the King James says. This is, um, you could refer to this as nard. It comes from a plant. It is a fragrance, fragrance or a perfume that comes from a specific plant there in Palestine. Um, and the indication in the Greek here is that it was pure. Nothing else had been added to it to dilute it. And what that means is this was very expensive, very costly. And Mary has a pound of it here. Um, basically, that, has, that, that is equivalent to 12 ounces. Not to debase this in any way, but your common soda can, 12 ounces would have been about the amount of the perfume, the ointment in this container that she has. Very expensive. And she took then 12 ounces of this very expensive ointment, this pure nard. And it says then next, very costly. And we'll find out in just a minute how costly it was. And it says here, anointed the feet of Jesus. And if you notice If you were to go to the other accounts, Mark in particular, I think Matthew as well, seemed to indicate that Jesus' head was anointed. So what we have here in the full picture is Mary comes up to Jesus, probably after everyone has eaten, and they're talking, they're fellowshipping, and she anoints his whole body, ending at his feet. And John specifically is focused on her anointing of his feet because this was a very humble act. Now, the very fact that she would do this all. Sometimes, folks, we get so um, used to these stories that we forget to, to put ourselves in this place and to understand what this was really like. This was not a common thing. We need to understand this. This was not something that people did every day. As awkward or maybe even disturbing as it would be for this to happen if you had guests in your home and somebody came and took perfume and anointed somebody at your house all of a sudden that would be an intention getter right for the people and you'd be like oh I wasn't expecting I didn't know they're gonna do that to my guests that I have in my home and now they have this perfume all over them um it would be It would be an awkward moment, to say the least, even certainly by today's standards. But this, at the same time, this was unexpected. This is something that none of these people expected to take place. And yet yet Mary is willing to do this unafraid at the response, boldly showing her adoration and love for Jesus. When she anointed Jesus in this way, she most likely, the the best indications here is that she was anointing him as someone who was royal, as her king. It's probably what she was thinking. And she was humbling herself down to his very 
feet, making sure that everyone there understood what king she served. She didn't serve Caesar ultimately. She served Jesus. And she, in full adoration and wonder and worship, does this incredible act. A beautiful thing, really. And then she does something that was controversial um, at this time. It finally says, um, and wiped his feet with her hair. And this, if you think about how she would have to do that, she would have had to untie her hair and let her hair fall down. Folks, in this custom, it was inappropriate for women to let their hair fall. There were women who had, shall I say, not stellar reputations that would do that kind of thing. And for Mary then to do this, to let her hair fall, and then for her to get close enough to the Savior to literally wipe her, his feet with her hair was startling to everyone in the room, as it would be to us today. This was a beautiful but humbling act of someone saying, I don't care what everyone else around me thinks. I just want my Savior, my King, to know how much I love him. Spectacular in the picture that's taking place here. Bold. And yet, it doesn't move her at all. And we see here that those that truly love Jesus gladly honor and gladly worship him. Now, we can't do something like that today. But are you sometimes ashamed at showing or talking about how much you love your Savior? Or are you, do you gladly, when the topic comes up, when Jesus has done something in your life, when you've reflected on all that Jesus means to you, are you unabashedly glad to tell people how much he means to you and how much you love him? Mary wasn't afraid to do that. She, was afraid, she wasn't afraid at all to go the ultimate way in demonstrating her love for Jesus. Are we willing to do that? That same sort of thing. She was breaking cultural standards by wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And yes, she gladly did that. I was thinking about Christmas time at our house. And something that has really brought joy to Leslie and I over the years this has kind of picked up uh, speed and happens more and more, which we're glad for every Christmas, is at some point, I don't know when it started, but the boys started getting the idea of making gifts for each other. Now, I don't think that we ever started them in that per se, that we had said, sat them down one Christmas and said, boys, we want you to make each other a gift for each other. Not necessarily spending a lot of money, but with your own hands and, and doing a craft or that kind of thing. I, I, if I remember correctly, it's something they just kind of picked up on their own. And over the years, those have become more extravagant. To the point now where every Christmas, we always kind of look forward to all the little extra gifts, or sometimes this happens at birthdays too, of not only just little cards they've made, but little figurines, or maybe in Luke's case, a little invention that he came up with or, or whatever, or they make their own toys for each other. And sometimes when we look at those, we think, wow, they really spent a lot of time on those gifts. 
That was an extravagant amount of time that, that surprises us, takes us by surprise. And it's really helpful and it joys us to look at that because it kind of helps balance out some of the other times where they don't always show as much love to each other as they should. But you know, we all have our troubles with that, right? But that in particular, when it comes time for gift giving at, at our home, it's a beautiful picture because they have taken extravagantly of their time and they're showing their love to family members and to mom and dad as they give us their homemade gifts too. It's a beautiful thing. Folks, it's a beautiful thing when we show, when we're extravagant with our time, with our money, with our resources, and showing our devotion and our love for Christ. We do that many times by our gifts to the church, his church, not my church, the church, of Je- the church with Jesus Christ as the head. And when we extravagantly give of our time, of our money, of our service, all of these things, we are showing devotion to Jesus in a way that the world says, wow, I don't get that. That's really kind of strange, kind of bizarre, but hey, if it works for them. Unfortunately, with Jesus' own followers, there was a misunderstanding. With one follower in particular, there was offense taken at this very beautiful act. Look at verse 4. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now, the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, indicate that this wasn't just Judas's heart attitude, that there were the disciples as a whole that had the same response. As they saw Mary do this wonderful act, the only thing that they could think of was, wow, why would she do that and waste that money? I think it's, it's either Matthew or Mark specifically that says the disciples looked at, watched her do this, and, and mentioned, why wasn't this money used to feed the poor? And feeding the poor is certainly something that we, would, we wouldn't argue is a good thing to do, right? Um, is certainly we, we have, there are needs that, that those that don't have the resources that some of us do, that those that are struggling financially, and certainly at this time, um, when you were poor, it meant you were destitute. You had no place to live. You had no way to get food on a regular basis. You didn't even know if you were going to get one square meal, maybe for a couple of days or maybe even a week. And even water was difficult to find. So when, when the disciples, when even Judas talks about the poor, there were very needy people at this time that could have greatly benefited from this amount of money if this perfume, this ointment had been sold. And he says here, 300 pence. That is a huge amount. In our terms today, it would basically be a year's wages. Oh, at this time as well. This is something that Mary had obviously given much consideration to. And had, and Jesus will give us more of this um, description, this more of this idea in just a minute. She had weighed things in the balance and decided this is what she wanted to do. But this was something that would have cost somebody a year's wages, at least incredibly expensive. It could have helped the poor. It could have helped the destitute. 
for most of the disciples, that's where it ended. They just were appalled on the waste. But Judas in particular, it goes further, and John gives us insight into that. Judas said this, verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor. He's being very hypocritical here. But because he was a thief and had the money bag and helped himself to what was put therein. The gospel writers often, when they talk about Judas, they mention that he was the one that would betray Jesus even before the event happens. I think partially because the disciples in their own minds or the the writers of the gospels who were mostly the disciples of Jesus, right? Um, Were so shocked when it finally was revealed to them that it was Judas that had betrayed Jesus. Judas was the one that was one of the most trusted disciples. If you were to hold the money bag, if you were the financial officer, so to speak, of this group, that meant that they had a lot of trust in you. That, that, that meant that they, had, they were trusting you with all of the resources. And at one point, whatever it was for the disciples to realize, well, I guess it would have been in the garden when Judas, Judas came up and gave Jesus that kiss, their shock and dismay had to have been so impacting on their lives that they can't mention Judas at all without remembering this horrible act that he would eventually do. They always thought of him as the one that betrayed our Savior. I still can't believe it was Judas. And so they describe him in this way. But John is the only one that tells us something else. Um, Another great sin that Judas struggled with, and that was that he was a thief. And the main reason that he was concerned that the money be given to the poor is that he'd also be able to help himself to some, as he was wont to do many times. And so Judas is seeing this perfume of pure nard, what he thinks is wasted on Jesus, uh, years, wages, and thinking, I could have had some of that in my pocket. Oh, I can't believe why, why would Jesus allow this to take place? Whatever the reasoning for the response, the response was the wrong response, and it needed rebuking, and that's what Jesus does in verse 7. Jesus said, let her alone. Against the day of my burial has she kept this. For the poor you have with you, but me you have not always. And he's describing here that, yes, Mary has weighed things in the balance. This wasn't something that she did just off the cuff, just on a last minute, on a whim. This wasn't anything done on a whim. This was something that she had given great consideration to. Where did this come from? Maybe it means that she and Martha and Lazarus came from a wealthy family, possibly. Maybe this was a family heirloom that they were saving for just the right moment. Maybe she had talked with Martha already. I don't know. Um, however she had received this, she, Jesus makes it clear that she had given great consideration and that she wanted to use it at, at this moment as a profound worshipful act. More profound, actually, than even she knew. Here we have another situation in connection with what happened with Lazarus, where people are doing and are saying things that mean more than what they even realize 
It means. And Mary, as profound and as devoted as she is in this act, she doesn't even have the full idea of what this signifies as she does this. That in her sincere act of devotion, of her sacrifice, she was actually a picture of a day that was coming soon in which Jesus' body would be actually be anointed for burial. She couldn't have known that at this point. I honestly believe it was her anointing him as king, as, the, as her savior, as her deliverer, her Messiah, whatever. But Mary couldn't have really understood even now that very soon that he would die and he would be anointed again as his body as he, after he was taken off of the cross. Jesus knows that, obviously. And so what is he saying here? He's now pointing out that Mary gave great consideration to this, and he's pointing that this will be a picture in her beautiful devotion of what of the sacrifice that I am going to soon give for the world, for the people of the world, so that they can be forgiven. And this is a picture of that. And it's also a warning, as he says in verse 8, the poor always ye have with you. And it's not that Jesus didn't care for the poor. He obviously had great care for those in destitute and need. He showed that throughout his ministry. But there are some things that are even more important than the most destitute and the most needy. And that is that God is honored, that Jesus is glorified, and that people see their need for Christ and worship him and humble themselves before him. Those things are even more important than dealing with the poor. There'll be time to deal with the poor, Jesus is saying, but my earthly ministry is drawing to a close. For his followers, he wants them to know that devoted acts like this won't be able to take place much longer. And I think there's a subtle point for Judas in this. And it's Judas you don't have much longer for me to be on this earth. You need to turn to me. Maybe one more opportunity for Judas to turn to Jesus. You don't have many opportunities left, Judas, to turn around and turn to me. And what we find out in the other Gospels is it is immediately after this that Judas does make the decision. It is most likely this event that finally turns him. And he goes to the religious leaders at the same time they have just said, Jesus needs to die. After this act, Judas goes to them and gives them the vehicle by which they can have Jesus. And he totally misses Jesus' warning in this. So Jesus rebukes and points out that there'll be plenty of time later to focus on the, full, on the, on the poor. But you need to follow me now, is what he's saying. To us today, you know, we only have a limited amount of time, right? This life for each of us is a limited amount of time that we can turn in faith to Jesus. And then if you've done that, a limited amount of time on this earth to worship him, to honor him, to glorify him, to testify of him to others. Um, in, in, in uh, testifying of the gospel and seeing others saved, when Jesus returns, that time will end. Now, we will spend eternity praising him and worshiping him in a wonderful, beautiful way, and that will be marvelous. 
but the opportunities that we as believers have to honor him and see others come to Christ through that is limited. It's limited as well. Be reminded that we don't want to waste our time in things that are trivial. Use your time to adore and glorify your Savior and testify of him. Well, um, we're going to continue to see as we finish up tonight in these next couple of verses that Jesus also is believed. There are more that will come to him through this miracle. And it ties in again with the resurrection of Lazarus. Look at verse 9. Much people or a large crowd of Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. People continue to come to this dinner. They want to see Jesus. They want to see this man that had been raised from the dead. They want to marvel at all this. There was a huge crowd here, folks. And again, remember that Mary had no problem in doing this act of worship in front of a large crowd, many people. But the chief priest, verse 10, consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. They're so hateful at this point. They're so bitter. They're so opposed to Jesus that they are even willing to get rid of Lazarus at this point. Poor Lazarus, right? He's just been resurrected from the dead, and now he's already got death threats going toward him again. You know, that's, that, is, that is the um, double-edged sword of the whole thing with Lazarus being raised from the dead. It's a wonderful miracle, but he's the only man that had to die twice, right? Because he did die again later on. Um, and thankfully, God protects him. He doesn't die at this time. But for these men to see and recognize that a man has been resurrected from the dead and then say, and we've got to get rid of him or we're going to lose our power, um, authoritarian um, positions, is an amazing um, act of rejection towards someone that they should have worshipped and should have loved like Mary did. Two opposite ends of the coin. Beautiful adoration and worship. Hardened rejection to where you have to get rid of everyone even that's around Jesus. And uh, part of his followers. And verse 11 then, on the positive side of this, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. And uh, D.A. Carson has a note on this word believed. The expressions of belief assume a self-conscious conversion, a move away from the religion practiced by the authorities, and a move toward genuine trust in Jesus. People came, saw Jesus, saw the miracle of Lazarus, saw the opposition, and said, we're tired of that, um, that dry, stale religion that can't save us anymore. We don't want to follow after the Pharisees and the religious leaders. We want to follow after Jesus. And they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And of course, the leaders couldn't have that. This really scared them. And now they're going to double down and they're going to seek Jesus even more uh, determinedly uh, to put him to death. And so we're going to see as Jesus continues on the road to the cross at this point, the opposition 
And at the same time, the adoration on both sides as that time gets nearer for him to offer himself on a cross as a sacrifice for the world. Aren't we glad as we finish up today, we've seen these two pictures that Jesus is the one who is willing to come and die for the sins of the people, that he was willing to offer himself for the many, for the world. So what is the response in the end of this? Two choices, right? Continue to reject him as savior or trust in him and worship and adore him as the son of God. For those that are still here today and haven't trusted in him yet, don't reject him any longer. Don't harden your heart, but put your faith and trust in Jesus. He will save you. He can mean all the world to you, as we sing today, if you'll trust in him. And he can provide you resurrection and eternal life. But folks, for those of us who have done that and do love Jesus, let me just give further application. Are you willing, because of your love for Jesus, to honor him even in the midst of those that don't honor him? The Lemons found themselves in this situation where they have some family members that just are, are not saved, my understanding is, and, and have rejected the Savior in some form or another, and yet they are testimonies of their love for Christ in the midst of this funeral setting. Um, are we willing to express our love for Christ when there are those around us, relatives, other situations, in the midst of family gatherings and things where we know that people are opposed? Are we a little nervous? Are we embarrassed for people that we know that are opposed to let them know of our love for Christ? Mary wasn't. We shouldn't be either. Or maybe in the midst of apathy of other believers, you're with other believers and you know you can just tell that they're bitter with God and they're struggling in their spirits. And somehow that just kind of eeks or, or spreads to you. And you want to tell them about something that the Lord did for you. And you just kind of say, eh, maybe I'll just wait. Because of their apathy and their lack of, of worship for Christ, folks, don't let those things affect, water down our love and our adoration and our desire to want to proclaim Christ. You be the example. Adore him. Show your love for Jesus extravagantly, whatever that Lord, the opportunity the Lord gives for you to do that. Don't be embarrassed, in other words, by your love for Christ, myself included. But let's extravagantly show our love for him to a world that needs, so desperately needs Jesus Christ. Be willing to do that. Father, help us. What a, in the midst of this beautiful picture of what Mary did, let us be moved. Let us be convicted. Lord, let's just be honest. Um, there isn't any of us where if we saw this done in front of us, that wouldn't feel a little awkward, at least. And Lord, at the same time, this is not something that um, we have to engage in. There are plenty of other devoted acts of service, of giving, of things that we can do to be extravagant in our love for you. Help me to not be embarrassed to talk of my love for Christ. Help us as Village Chapel Baptist Church to so be amazed 
at the sacrifice of Jesus for us and all that he suffered for us, that we would gladly proclaim to a world our love for him and our worship of him. Help us to do better, to be bold in that. And give us the strength for that through the power of the Holy Spirit. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.